Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Let It Roll, Tales from the Tour Bus where the podcast about how and why popular music happens takes a break to talk about our favorite animated music history show from Mike Judge with hosts Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankston. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. You can now follow us on Twitter, at LetItRollCast, and we'd love to hear what you think, so don't be shy about tweeting at us or commenting on our website. This week, Nate and Justin talk about the third and fourth episodes of Tales from the Tour Bus, featuring the troubled love story of George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Hello, this is your host, Nate Wilcox of the Let It Roll podcast, joined once again by Justin Bankston, and we're talking about Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, Season 1. Tonight, we're going to talk about Episodes 3 and 4. This is the rare time where we're going to talk about uh, the episodes in roughly the same amount that it takes to watch the show instead of twice as long. So, Justin. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. This is the epic two-part George Jones and Tammy Wynette uh, uh, pairing of episodes from Tales from the Tour Bus. Initial thoughts. Oh man, it really starts getting good at this point. I mean, the first two episodes are great, especially the first one, but at this point, it really kicks into high gear. Yeah, absolutely. And and watching these again, um, it's just amazing how many anecdotes they squeeze in and how crazy they are. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, and also the incredible power of the musical segments. I mean, it, it you can see why people put up with George Jones when you hear his music. It, it's um, it, it's incredible. The man was if if anybody was an idiot savant, it was George Jones. This guy they they talk about uh, an episode, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the 
his backing band, the Jones Boys, aka the Adams Brothers, talk about uh, sending George to rehab one time, and they tested his IQ, and it came out at 62, which is incredibly low. He must have been incredibly drunk when he took that. But <laughs> that is not a high score. No, no, that is a low scoring, low scoring uh, thing. And, and um, I mean, this is this. These are two of the greats of country music, but. You know, as always, uh, Mike Judge introduces uh, these country episodes with a little bit, I don't know about self-consciousness, but but he invokes uh, Frank Sinatra's reference to George Jones as the second greatest singer in the world. Presumably Frank was number one. And, you know, he mentions that Elvis Costello and James Taylor wrote songs for George Jones, which is sort of a weird appeal to authority. Like, like you know, we're supposed to respect George Jones because these famous singers did. Um but then he kind of gets quickly into the punchline with, with, you know, these two people had plenty of chances to kill each other and they tried. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's this combination of wanting to give country music some respect, uh, respectability, but also just telling the story as the, these people live their lives. And these lives are off the chain. Indeed. Indeed. And as Mike points out, right at the beginning, you know, we're talking about like a singular personality, a singular talent. Uh, it is, there's literally nobody else, anything like George Jones. And, you know, it is, it is an incredible tale. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it starts right off uh, with the Adams brothers that we uh, remember from the Johnny paycheck episode. They, they had backed up Johnny paycheck and grew up with Johnny paycheck. But with George Jones, they were just uh, hired guns, although, you know, they, they worked with him for many years, but uh, never really liked him. And, and it's very clear why they didn't like him. I mean, they, uh, they started the episode off with a tale from the Adams Brothers about um, <clears throat> playing with George Jones, and they would, they would normally open the set as an opening act, and then they go to introduce, you know, the world's number one country singer, and a whiskey bottle flies <laughs> right by the the main guy's head you know and that's george jones they just walk off the stage and uh and then george jones comes and tries to attack the guy uh, out in the parking lot and, and and don adams knocked him out cold and the cops come and ask him with what do you want with the trailer door yeah with the trailer door bashes him in the head with the trailer door and the cops ask him what do you want us to do with this with him don and he's like take him to jail and i drove home in his car uh and you know uh it's pretty classic, but I think, you know, when they show George singing Take Me, a solo version of, of the first duet recorded by George Jones and Tamo Wynette as a married couple, I mean, when you hear that, and it's very hard to square the incredibly powerful emotion he can wring out of a song with the completely insensitive behavior. I mean, insensitive doesn't even begin to describe it. I mean, just lunatic behavior uh this guy engaged in <laughs> non-stop <laughs> you know for indeed, decades indeed uh with, with yeah i mean that, that go ahead i'm sorry yeah that clip you're talking about when he's when he sings that song just i mean it just cements everything about how serious of a talent this guy is because you're just heart stops and you're watching him and then they're back to talking about how he looks like a possum. And it's really like, you know, the way it all plays through is, is it's amazing, but it's also just your, it's a little bit, 
back back and forth. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's what this this series is all about is is showing us what these people were like. You know, through the words of the people Indeed. that knew them. Sometimes the words their uh, their own words. In this case, you know, George George and Tammy have both passed away and don't, don't speak on camera. But the 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 narrative is this unceasing series of of shenanigans that um <laughs> you know George uh, Jones especially but also Tam Arnett engaged in and and they use a little bit of a chronological narrative they start with George's humble beginnings his friend Peanut Montgomery and his wife uh, tell about you know the way George grew up in the big thicket outside Vider Texas and you know everybody there was poverty people but they didn't know that it was poor because everybody was was equal you know and then they and then they show George uh, with the Jones boys and the infamous Johnny Paycheck, who we've seen in the in the first episode, and that's Indeed. and that to me is is where the brilliance of the series comes in because they've used the Paycheck episode as sort of an appetizer for this big meaty two part series on George and Tammy, and since we've gotten to know Johnny Paycheck. In, in his episode and and learned of him as a kind of lovable out of control rogue you know with massive alcohol and cocaine problems when the when the judge boys start telling us about how Johnny Paycheck and George Jones were just alike and then proceed to tell an anecdote about uh, the two of them getting into a shouty match on the bus that George uh, wins through brains which is which is a, a rare thing but but the, the possum's got a few tricks up his sleeves but that kind of sets us up for what we are in for with George Jones. Indeed. Except, yeah. go ahead. And it, well, it's brilliant because you, at this point, the, the Adams brothers are like old friends. You're, you're happy to see them again. You already trust them. Uh, you know, the, their opinions are, are basically solid gold at this point after you've watched the Johnny Paycheck episode and, you know, you get more of those delightful things where one of them says something and the camera pans back to the three of them all having that exact same laugh. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's magic. And then peanut and Charlene Montgomery are, are great too. And, and, you know, peanut, uh, was George's closest friend and, and it doesn't go into this, but peanut's actually a pretty big songwriter. He wrote Tanya Tucker's, uh, career breaking hit. What's your mama's name boy. And, um, a number of others. So, so he's not just a hanger on this peanut, somebody who is a legit Nashville songwriting talent in his own right. And, and a running buddy of George and, and backup singer and guitarist in his band for many years. But then they introduced Tammy Wynette and they do it pretty buoyantly with George in the bus, hearing a song. Who's that? It's a song written by Johnny Paycheck and it's Tammy Wynette's first hit apartment number nine. And then that's a great segue to go and tell Tammy Wynette's story, uh, and and they've got a great crew of characters to tell Tammy Wynette's story. There's Scott Kennedy, who runs the Tammy Wynette Museum in her hometown, and he's just the kind of guy you would imagine would be obsessed with Tammy Wynette. And and I think anybody that talented deserves um, a chronicler like Scott Kennedy. I mean, it's you can tell he loves her and cares about her, and 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 has the 
same sense of place she did and understands, you know, why a girl would want to get out of the cotton fields and house singing um, and and show business. And, and, you know, Tammy is presented immediately as somebody who is a visionary who can see herself doing more than just picking cotton, who's designing her on stage costumes years before uh, she's got any reason to think she's going to be on stage and wants to sing with her idol, George Jones. And that uh, comes true through a fairly roundabout way. I mean, they tell the story of Tammy um, and her uh, first husband, Eupel Bird, and everybody gets a big out of the poor dude's name. And it seems like he was a pretty <laughs> shitty husband. And it's the classic, you know, uh, unemployed Southern white man uh, and and unwilling to work. And, and Tammy becomes a hairdresser to support the kids they have. And, and they sort of brush over... Um, how hard this was for her. I mean, they, they tell you that she was, a depre- you know, suffered from depression. They show a cartoon of her getting shock treatment for depression. And as somebody who's had, you know, depression in my family and has had relatives that went through shock treatment, I mean, that shit's serious and horrible. And and if your depression is bad enough uh, to require shock treatment, and keep in mind, you know, Tammy's doing this in an era when lobotomies were being handed out and Thorazine uh, was given out like candy. So, you know, it wasn't quite the last ditch treatment it is now, but you know that's serious shit. And for a young woman of eighteen, that was a sobering moment. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, and you know, but Tammy picks up her three kids and goes to Nashville and and meets this guy Don Chapel, who's brilliantly captured as a good songwriter, mediocre singer with a really bad wig, and you know, and then they show the picture and wow. <laughs> There's so much eye candy in this episode. Like every time something like that comes up and the, the editing where they cut to whatever it is, is just, I laughed and laughed and laughed. And there were so many like visual gags and the bad wig is a great example of just one they get you with early on. Yeah. And they've got um, great sources uh, with Jeanette and Nanette Smith, a twin sister, or I don't know they're twins, but sister hairstylists who were the official hairstylists for Tammy Wynette. Although they weren't allowed to touch George Jones hair because only Tammy, <laughs> <laughs> only Tammy could do that. And, and so it tells These a tale. These ladies are amazing. They are such a scream. I love them. Oh yes, they are awesome. And, 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 you know, they lived with George and Tammy toured with George and Tammy and, um, and it really does seem like everybody loved Tammy. People were much more mixed on George at best. Um, but yeah. they, you know, the Adams brothers seemed pretty united in, uh, Woody was uncomfortable at all when he was labeled a prick. Yeah, no, they, they're just straight out. He was such a prick, <laughs> but they, you know, they were also unstinting <laughs> in admiring his musicality, you know, and, and absolutely. You know, I mean, anybody with ears can tell this guy's an incredible singer. And, you know, working with him, you know, they described it as an incredible musical education. But, again, he was such a prick. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know, um, then, then they go on and, and tell the story, you know, of how George meets Tammy through this guy, Don Chappelle. They go on tour together with Don and Tammy as the opening act. And pretty soon George is taking the stage and doing duets with Tammy. And then pretty soon their love affair starts. And there's, there's a, uh, 
a telling moment when when Don first introduces Tammy to George. He's he's trying to sell George a song, and he goes to a motel room. George is staying, and then George is in bed with a woman, and then Peanut. Uh, corrects his wife Charlotte and says, uh, "I believe it was two women, <laughs> you know." And he really got Tammy's attention because he didn't even see her there. And so, you know, a woman, a beautiful woman like that with a big ego, it's it's classic sort of crap that these games players teach each other. You know, if if you diss a woman at first, you're really going to get her attention. And George followed that to a T. And then when they do fall in love, he goes running uh, to a, a buddy after his first assignation with, with Tammy and tells the guy, Tammy Dunn sucked my toes. And, uh, it was, <laughs> it was, that was a detail I could have personally lived without knowing. It's, it's true. It's a little bit TMI, but it, it's also funny, especially when they tell the, the hairstylists that, and, and they both play that perfectly for laughs. Um, perfectly. But then, it, you know, it tells the tale of how Tammy, uh, and Don Chapel invite George over for dinner, and, and George just can't stand the way the dude's treating Tammy, and so he just, you know, uh, throws a fit, throws furniture through windows, and says, "Tammy, grab the kids. Let's. I love you. You love me. Grab the kids. Let's get out of here." And it, it's, uh, you know, the so beginning. Romantic. Yeah, <laughs> it's a classic hillbilly love story, and the, uh, you know, the and the the episode then tells a little bit of. Revenge. Tammy gets on on her first husband, Yupel Bird, who would, you know when she would talk about how she was going to go to Nashville and be a country star, he would say, "Dream on, baby, dream on." And so Yupel shows up at one of her shows, wanting an autograph, and she tells him, "Dream on, baby, dream on." So uh, you know it's cool that Tammy's getting some some of the revenge. They tell the story about Tammy George growing his hair out from his trademark flap top into. Uh, a, a hair helmet that they call compared to Cornelius from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> and man, he keeps that same like he goes from the flat top to the helmet, and then he rides the helmet out to the end. I mean, the guy, you know, he had two haircuts his whole life. I know, and and uh, and and incredible haircuts. You know, you can. I mean, <laughs> you know, you would want to think long and hard before you ditched either one of them, but. Um, but then they introduced George's alcoholism, which is the, the real theme of the second episode. And, you know, they talked to one of his managers who outlines the guy's all-day drinking schedule, start in the morning with Bloody Marys, beers at lunch, and then, you know, by late afternoon, you're moving up to whiskey. And, you know, his manager would uh, carry sacks of raw potatoes around just to feed George and give him carbs to soak up all that booze. And, and uh as much yeah, as they was, play, that was kind of brutal. Yeah, it's totally brutal. And as much as they play it for laughs, the reality, the harsh reality of this horrible disease, comes through. And and um, they do eventually explain kind of why he became such an alcoholic. And and you know the the Adams brothers are pretty clear. I don't think he liked being out there on stage. You know, and and they talk to George's daughter, who explains, you know that he discovered fairly early on in his career that two or three drinks made him not nervous to be on stage. And, uh, you know, that two or three drinks became drinking all day, total alcoholism and, and, you know, ruined, uh, his marriage to Tammy for sure. And, and made him miserable for anybody uh, to work at work with or, or for. And I think that, uh, the hairstylist, either Nanette 
um, I think it was Nanette, had a, had a quote. She said, I'm not certain George Jones ever thought about being a star or wanted to be a star or ever knew he was a star. And he didn't give a damn about money. So this is a guy who's just totally disconnected from the reality of his occupation and and sort of charming that he's immune from the you know he's not dazzled by the bright lights but he's certainly yeah, living he'll skip out the first chance he gets to go to an anonymous hotel room a cheap one to sit around and drink whiskey and eat fried chicken like that's that's his idea of like an ideal evening versus like going out on a stage and like performing for people yeah and and it, it makes sense when you realize that you know this is a guy with terrible stage fright who is a supreme perfectionist and is incredibly self-conscious and it's hard to imagine being george jones and feeling like you're not performing up to your standards you know i mean it's like when we hear george jones you're like jesus this guy's great but I assume when you have that kind of talent that you also have much higher standards. And so he knows what he's capable of and, and he knows when he's fallen short and, you know, that's the pain he could never deal with. And so he did things like, you know, just random alcoholism and random antics. And, and the episode ends with the classic tale of him taking the ride, riding lawnmower to the liquor store. And, and again, it's played for laughs. I mean, they, they, they lots of footage of George riding on the shoulder of the freeway and his riding lawnmower and, and Tammy and, and her lawyer driving up next to him, you know, and George is just totally stone faced and ignoring him. And when they finally get back to the house, he just says to the lawyer, you know, after not acknowledging the guy the whole evening, he's like, Hi John, as you can see, my wife is a little upset with me. So I'm gonna lock myself in my bedroom and get drunk. <laughs> I mean, it's uh a great setup for the the episode ending of Tammy standing by her man, which of course is Tammy's, you know, enormous hit and probably her aesthetic peak as well. And, and uh, a great place to end the episode. And I thought established Tammy as his equal artistically. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's probably if you were going to do a top five, most iconic country songs, Sam, Tammy singing Stand By Your Man is, is in there, you know, yeah. along with at least a couple of Georges. Yeah, absolutely. And it, um, you know, they showed White Light in his first hit early in the episode and, and um, you know, had her singing Apartment Number 9, had a couple of their famous duets, uh, Milwaukee, Here I Come, and We're Not the Jet Set, um, which are both, you know, just great, great songs. But the the second episode then is more um, the downside of, of their storybook romance, such as it was. And it's, I think when you get to the second season and, and the funk series, when they do the two-parters on Rick James and James Brown, there's this definite first episode is the rise. Second episode is the fall. And yeah, it makes with, a lot of sense. Yeah. But, but George and Tammy, the rise was always pretty rough. And so it's not as um, bifurcated, I guess, because because George Jones is not somebody who had complete control over his art and his career the way that Rick James or James Brown did. I mean, George Jones is somebody who was basically a vehicle and, and, and yep. you know, 
they don't get really into uh, the history of his career, but up to 1971, uh, you know, he had a manager who controlled everything he did, and they jumped from record label to record label, and, and they just churned out the content and, you know, recorded the same songs over and over again, just just put George in front of a mic stand and gave him lyrics and 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 cut track. And it's amazing, you know, it's a testament to his gifts that that he produced so many great classic hits. But in the 70s, George and Tammy both end up with Billy Sherrill, who is the definitive country politan producer of the 60s and 70s. And I mean, this is the Nashville sound at its absolute apex. And absolutely. You know, and George Jones is is 100 percent the guy to make that format work, you know, like it, I think a lot of people have a lot of feelings about the country politan thing. And some people maybe, maybe consider it the beginning of the end of Nashville being any good, but George doing those heavily produced songs, uh, and the quality of the songs and the way he sang them, it's just amazing. It's just killer. Yeah, and they don't even, you know, they 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 end the, the second episode with the classic "He Stopped Loving Her Today," which is the pinnacle and the ultimate uh, Billy Sherrill and George Jones collaboration. But they don't even, you know, play like the Grand Tour um, or any of the other classics that that George uh, did in the Billy Sherrill era. And and yeah, there's like a dozen of them. Yeah, it's it's deep, and that um, and we'll get to our recommendations. But that anniversary uh, set of the Billy Sherrill era is is highly recommended. But let's get down to brass tacks. What was your favorite part of the two two episodes? So the as I sort of said before, the, the this episode, the, the, this series of episodes, it really feels like this show starts to hit on all cylinders, and the little things like the editing and the sound design and the way that they uh, cut these visual gags in. It's just brilliant. And there's this part where Shooter Jennings is telling the story about how his dad uh, tied George Jones to a tree. And that's because George Jones called him a Conway Twitty singing motherfucker. And right when he says that, they cut to a picture of, or a video of Conway Twitty, and he's all, boom, boom, boom. And oh. I just died laughing every single time I saw it. And it was like, that is definitely my favorite part. Yeah, that was a that was a sweet moment. And, and you know, after George is tied to the tree, he's sitting there screaming, I'm the best country Western singer that's ever lived. And Waylon pokes his head out the door. Yeah, and you're tied to a fucking tree. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, and uh, I think my favorite part would have to be the, the bathroom brawl with Porter Wagner. Um, you know, when George finds out Ooh. that that Tammy is, has known Porter Wagner when she first got to Nashville and, and the, the hairstylist ladies talk about how the reputation, Porter Wagner's reputation for having a giant cock precedes him. And, and, you know, and then when George goes in the men's room and confronts him, he, he just grabs him by the tallywhacker and, and, you know, they go to it and there's a great shot of an animated butt flying up, uh, and, and glitter flying off of the nudie suit. Oh yes. man. Yes, it's amazing. You know, it's it's uh it's it's really brilliant, and you know, like so much of this, and, and I got to get an honorable mention. Well, I'll get to it in the fun, funniest part, but the the whole thing, it's squalid 
stories and it's you know it's a serious depressing topic alcoholism and everything but it's still funny as shit i mean he's, this is life and 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 this is life lived crazily i wouldn't say it was a life well lived but i mean this is a life of accomplishment <laughs> you know these Indeed. are people who made millions of people happy and comforted people through some really hard times with beautiful music and just lived this off the chain life of madness and uh indulgence and you know, I, I feel like George and Tamar were kind of living for millions of people who identified with their their work. And so, what was your favorite song out of the two episodes? For me, it's definitely the it, where it opens with George singing "Take Me" by himself. It's just really beautiful, and there's just no. It's just him. He's kind of strumming a guitar, and he's just singing, and it's a beautiful song when he he co-wrote. And it's from it's actually from a really cool movie called A Poem Is a Naked Person. It's about Leon Russell. Hmm. Uh, and and sitting in the background, you can see one of my favorite bass players, Carl Radel, who was playing with Leon at the time. Uh, but it's just it's a it's just beautiful, and it's just George sort of like sitting there, just doing what he can do, and it just tugs on my heartstrings. Yeah, uh, I would have to pick the same one. It, it's it's a beautiful performance of a great song, and and uh, it's really well selected. And it, it, um, I think it's a great way to introduce George Jones and the gravity of what we're talking about when we're talking about the artistry of George Jones. I mean, there's any number of songs that that he's more famous for, but like you know, White Lightning and the full crew cut era is fun and and rocking but it's also a song you can laugh at and the same with he stopped loving her today i think in the context if you're a george jones fan and and you can overcome the ridiculousness of the lyrics you can really you know i mean i've cried tears that he stopped loving her today many times but but it's also a song that's patently ridiculous, you know, that, that even George Jones supposedly thought was a, a joke. And Billy Sherrill had to basically get one verse out of it a, a, a day for weeks, if not months, to get that thing uh, cut. So this basically unplugged version of Take Me gets that raw power of George Jones and the beauty he's able to, to summon just with his phrasing and it's it's incredible so i really hats off to mike judge and and whoever helped him you know pick that particular track it was it was a perfect one and so uh what what was the funniest part of the of the episodes oh i already gave away the funniest part it was the same conway twitty part yeah man there were so many good jokes in in this episode the the nudie suit glitter was incredible just all through it, uh, the Jeanette and Annette had so, so many just drive, you know, Cracker Jacks. It was just, it was incredible. Yeah, I, I got to get honorable mention to the uh, Faux Miles story, which is where George, you know, buys a truck on a bender, picks up a hitchhiker, asks the guy how far he's going. The guy keeps saying Faux Miles. And uh, and he thinks he means four miles when he actually means Fort Myers, Florida. And so he ends up driving the guy like six hundred miles, four miles at a time, and uh, and then gives the guy maybe as much as twenty five thousand dollars. I assume he he bought the truck out of that. But the manager was his manager was trying to figure out, you know, how much money did he 
did you come home with? And he's, you know, I kept, I kept 20 bucks. And the guy was like, well, you had 25,000 yesterday. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, George didn't a, care about money. He didn't care about money. And so, what was the saddest part to you? Man, there was a lot of sad parts. I think for me, it's kind of a tie between sort of everything implied by the, the potato eating. It's like, you know, what's your quality of life really when what you're eating day to day is raw potatoes and salt, you know? Yeah. It just, it really kind of shows that like, and you see it over and over again in, in all of these music stories, you've got somebody with all the talent and the opportunity in the world, but their quality of life is for shit because they're an alcoholic or whacked out on drugs or, or otherwise uh, just ruining it for themselves, you know? Yeah. And then when he took a shot at Peanut, that that really hurt my feelings a lot. Yeah, and that's that's the end of, of the second episode when, when his friend Peanut Montgomery has, has found Jesus and uh you know, George and he you know, this was his lifelong running buddy and, and Peanut is no longer available to go drinking or go to the casinos or go see bands and uh you know, George was jealous of Gina, Jesus, as Peanut says, and, and you know, set up a meeting and actually fired a shot at Peanut, who generously didn't press charges because that could have, you know, put George away for years. Um, and it, and George's behavior in that, where he he takes a shot at the guy and then seconds later is like, well, I'm gonna head on back to the house now, you know, without really grasping what he had just done, and and that kind of disconnection from his actions and the consequences uh, is very typical of George Jones. Um, I, th- I think the saddest part for me was when George attacks Tammy and, and fires a gun all over the house and is dragged away in a straitjacket. That, that to me summed up their, the sickness at the heart of their relationship where, you know, Tammy um, is terrified and George is terrifying and has ruined himself. I mean, seeing George Jones dragged away in a straitjacket uh, especially for her, who loved the man, and you know he's her hero, or musical idol, and husband, and father of her children, and to see him in that state, you know, and she, to her credit, she was done with him. But unfortunately, uh, she had terrible taste in men, and George was not even the worst of it, you know. So, uh, it, you know, that the that's that to me is the saddest part is is that Tammy was also sucked into you know, the well of substance abuse and, and, and ended up sort of a precursor to Prince and Tom Petty and that she had a pretty late in life. Um, I'm not sure if her death was an overdose, but, but pills definitely played a big part in a pretty premature death. And that, that to me is the saddest part. And, and their daughter, um, Georgette Jones talking about even to the end of her life, Tammy still viewed George as the love of her life. And, and that, that to me was sad that these people, did love each other but they couldn't they could not make it work and and for all their gifts and all their triumphs you know uh they still end up squandering it you know and and that's it's hard to take now do you like the main characters yeah i mean there's obviously a a lot of problematic stuff going on but you just can't help but like, you know, and you love them when they're, when they're being geniuses and you kind of empathize with them when they're being assholes. Uh, 
uh, I mean, who knows, I don't know what it's like to try and be George Jones every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I just, I, it, I tend to want to forgive, want to forgive both of them and especially George, you know, Tammy needs a lot less forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, you know, they allude to, to some of the weirdness around her life. Like they tell the tale of her house being firebombed pretty much from her perspective and her lawyer's perspective. But then they, they let one of her biographers allude to um, multiple other incidents of death threats and a kidnapping. There was a fake kidnapping, and, and I don't know that it was fake, but it was there was an unsolved kidnapping when Tammy claimed that she had been kidnapped, I think in the 90s, that I remember at the time thinking it was really fishy. And, um, you know, so in addition to her substance abuse problems and her serial bad taste in men, um, also had some kind of Munchausen syndrome thing going on. So I, I think that they sort of whitewash uh, Tammy to some extent. But, you know, you can't help but love her. I mean, she's such an incredible talent and came from nothing and made something of herself you know, and, and, and George is the same way. I mean, he's less lovable than Johnny Paycheck, but way more lovable than Jerry Lee Lewis. I would, I would, uh, which, uh, put him. That sounds right. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was capable of some pretty monstrous behavior, but he really wasn't a monster. I mean, he wasn't, um, a hateful person or a predatory person, but he was a self-destructive person. And, and, a prick and an asshole, as as the Jones boys uh, keep telling us. Um, well, let's talk about the music. What 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 are some of the albums that you would recommend people check out if they so, want to dive deeper? As you sort of alluded to, George, you know, it was like a, George was an asset in this machine, and so they just cranked out so much material over such a long period of time, and many of the albums almost every record's got one or two totally killer songs on it, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of filler. <clears throat> so George Jones is one of those people where I feel like you're best off just going with the compilation approach. And there's a number of really good ones out there, but again, even with compilations, there's probably hundreds of George Jones compilations. <laughs> so the ones you want to work with, I really like this. There's a live from the Louisiana Hayride and it's different, uh, different performances on that radio show. Uh, and it's sort of early and it's sort of rough. And so you can kind of get, you know, George Jones as, you know, as unfiltered as you're going to get. And it's really enjoyable. And then there's sort of the, the first, uh, leading up to the country politics era, there's, 20 years where he's doing kind of similar music. Uh, and that is really well uh, documented on a Rhino uh, compilation called Best of George Jones, 1955 to 1967. And basically anytime, if you're trying to figure out what's going on with a bunch of compilations and one of them's on Rhino records, you're in pretty good shape just choosing that one. Uh, and they do a great job on this. Yeah, and then you get. In, I'm sorry. No, that, just want to yeah. say that's a great comp compilation. Um, 
And I wanted to throw in one uh, that I've had for a long time, the Cup of Loneliness, which is just the Mercury years. So it's it's the, the 50s and early 60s stuff. And, uh, you know, it's the raw honky-tonk uh, years, and it's it's really awesome. But go ahead to the next one. Cool. Yeah, and then you get what we've uh, talked about several times. The You get into the 70s and the big country politan sound with Billy Sherrill. And it's the... It's called Anniversary, 10 Years of Hits, and it's just outstanding. And it's, it's like I said, it's the big, huge, overproduced Nashville 70 sound, huge ballads, strings, background singers. But if anyone can carry the weight of all of that, it is George Jones. And the song selections are incredible, and George's performances are incredible, and it's really just about as good as this kind of country music gets. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the George and Tammy together, a couple great albums. Uh, Golden Ring is probably my favorite, uh, 1976 classic. And then... uh, Outstanding. Yeah, and the greatest hits from 1977. I mean, they really did bring something out in each other that, uh, for my money, they're my favorite country duet team. I mean, um, the only... uh, competition i i can think of for them uh would be marvin gay and tammy terrell where uh there's i i don't think gay and, and tammy ever were lovers but they were dear dear friends and then and then her tragic death and, and illness that emotional bond is conveyed through the music but but george and tammy put each other through so much and they kept singing after their relationship had ended and you know even golden ring is recorded after their divorce and so those songs have a real power um from two people who've loved each other and lost each other and and it's just you know if you like country music uh and and sad songs those two uh put it all together on golden ring and then absolutely yeah, and then you know, uh, Tammy Wynette's solo career is is very rich as well. And her first, you re- you picked out her first three Billy Sherrill albums: "Your Good Girl's Gonna Go Bad," "D.I.V.O.R.C.E.," and "Stand By Your Man." And I mean, you know, it's telling how deep their discography is when a song like "D.I.V.O.R.C.E." isn't even mentioned in the two-parter. I mean, that is a mammoth hit. It's a cultural, uh, you know, uh, lodestone. And it's totally dwarfed by Stand By Your Man. Um, but, you know, this this is a woman who who's right up there with Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton as far as being an absolute queen of country. And then and then also the anniversary 20 years of hits by Tammy. And and um, there's actually several of the George Jones, Billy Sherrill albums. Uh, I'd, I'd want to give a shout out to the Grand Tour as well. And, and uh, um, I think it's called I Am What I Am that uh, has the first appearance of, of uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today on album. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is deep shit. And, and if, if you get into the Bear family, you know, collections, like, uh, you know, the multi-volume, everything they ever recorded, it can get pretty overwhelming, but there are gems to be found. So, you know, if you get into George and Tammy, man, you can go deep and, and um, it's, it's, it's just epic. It's epic greatness. And, and, you know, it's the sort of thing that makes you proud to be an American and, and uh, glad to, to be here and join uh, these tunes. So how do you, how do you feel like these two fit into the arc of the season? Is this, to me, it's the heart 
of the series. Absolutely. It's the high point and it's, it's really the, it gets to the gritty soul of the whole thing. It's funny. It's probably the funniest the season gets and it's funny all the way through, but it's also just so soulful and beautiful. Yeah. And the, and the tragedy and the comedy are the same things. I mean, you know, it's like, it's hilarious to watch George Jones in the grips of cocaine psychosis developing a split personality where he's talking to himself in a Donald Duck voice and an Al Jolson voice and having these conversations, you know, and kicks the duck off the bus and then makes the bus driver go back and get the duck. I mean, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But but it's also, (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's sad at the same time. And, and I, I just think this format is just a beautiful way to get that across because, um, the cartoon format gives you a distance from the tragedy and the squalidness of it and and lets you laugh uh as a way of just processing the emotion but then then cutting back to the music um brings the the emotional impact of all this and so yeah i mean to me it's like the way this these two episodes i think the only flaw in the structure and we discussed this last time with the jerry lee lewis episode is that they start with johnny paycheck who's a great lead-in for the the season um and I, I really think that it's best if you watch Johnny Paycheck and then the George and Tammy back to back and, and put jo- Jerry Lee Lewis in as a sort of palate cleanser after this, you know, three-parter Nashville stuff. And and then the rest of the series, you know, follows a similar pattern where you've got Billy Joe Shaver that we'll talk about next week as a prequel to the two-part Waylon Jennings uh, episode. And, you know, we'll talk about the contrast between George Jones and Waylon Jennings Um when we get to Wayland. So Justin, any, any final thoughts on this one? Yeah. Listen to George Jones. Yes. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and listen to George Jones. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. It's hard to believe a human being can sing so beautifully. Um, and then, you know, you learn so much about him and the music is pretty much all there was to the dude, you know? I mean, uh, yeah. You know, music and and hairspray, uh, <laughs> and some crazy car collections, and Evan Williams. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, Justin, uh, this is Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankson. So, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another uh, review of Tales from the Tour Bus by Mike Judge. Thanks a bunch. Share and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at LetItRollCast. Come back next Monday when R.J. Smith drops by to talk about James Brown and his biography, The One, and come back next Thursday as Nate and Justin will be back to talk more tales from the tour bus featuring Billy Joe Shaver. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax.